are listening to the Vibrant Visionaries podcast hosted by me, Heidi Bennett. Welcome old friends and new listeners. What is Vibrant Visionaries all about? Well, this is how I describe a vibrant visionary. They're a creator skilled in a variety of disciplines who combine their many talents to bring the world innovative, groundbreaking, culturally impactful art and entertainment. They're curious, overflowing with a million ideas, a lifelong learner, tinkerer, and experimenter. They're compassionate, empathetic, emotionally intelligent, usually a little sensitive, and always abundantly hilarious. They understand the value of vulnerability when it comes to telling original stories and creating a compelling, thought-provoking body of work. Simply put, a vibrant visionary is my type of weirdo. These are the people I love having on the podcast and our relatively new YouTube channel. So if this all sounds good to you and maybe you even identify as a vibrant visionary, I invite you to check out all of our podcasts on vibrantvisionaries.com and pop over to the YouTube channel, Vibrant Visionaries Network, if you're interested in seeing the beautiful faces of a lot of the folks that I've been interviewing lately. I also have the Vibrant kitchen there where I teach uh, simple recipes, really lightning fast and packed with flavor. I also share some of my vintage cookbooks and eclectic destinations, favorite gadgets, etc. So that's where you can find me. Now on with the show. Hey everybody, this is Heidi Bennett. My guest today on Vibrant Visionaries is Jeffrey Madoff. He's the founder and CEO of Madoff Productions, adjunct professor at Parsons, author of Creative Careers and executive producer and playwright. I can't wait for you to hear this conversation. Let's get into it. Welcome Jeffrey Madoff. Hi, Heidi, and thank you for having me on. Yeah, thank you so much for, you know, joining me. You're uh, in Chicago right now because you've got something exciting happening over there, and I'd love everybody to learn more about your current creative project, Personality the Musical. Yeah, Personality the Musical has been quite a ride. Roller coaster ride is probably the most appropriate description, and uh Tomorrow, which is June 2nd, I'm not sure when this is going to air, but it's uh, the first day of our previews. And then we're opening on June 14th at the Studebaker Theater in Chicago. So I've been here since I live in New York City and I have been in Chicago since April 30th and will be here until the 18th of June. Uh, And I was here for rehearsals you know, all the rehearsals and uh, moving from acting and dance rehearsals to tech. Uh, And I can go through each of these steps if you like. And uh, tonight actually is our first full dress rehearsal. And then tomorrow, as I mentioned, is our first preview. So, Man, it's just going really fast. (laughs) You know, it's incredible. Yeah. Uh, Well, it sounds really exciting. And I liked that that I've got the opportunity to talk with you just at this moment, this like precipice. I mean, we'll we'll um, put out. Don't this say ep- precipice. I'm thinking I'm going to like step off the edge of something into the <laughs> abyss. So let's hope not. <laughs> what? Yeah, but I think like I guess what I'm saying is like right here at the the. There's been I'm sure all this stuff that's happened beforehand um, to get you to this point. Um, but yeah, how are you feeling uh, sort of mentally about 
where you're at at this moment? I mean, I feel good. I feel uh, really good about what we're going to be putting on stage. Uh, have a fantastic cast uh, and a fantastic creative team that has been with me since the beginning. And, you know, this has been part of this journey that's been, you know, the troughs of the roller coasters when COVID hit. We then had to delay for over a year. We had a date. Uh, that we were going to be opening. Our first run was at uh, People's Light Theater in Malvern, Pennsylvania, outside of Philadelphia. And we were supposed to open in March of uh, 21. And in September of 20, I had to make the determination, are we going to be sufficiently out of COVID to be able to open a show in the spring of 21? And considering the way things were going, I didn't think we would be. And in theater, because uh, the theaters themselves are booked up so far in advance, that you've got to make commitments a long time in advance. So I made the decision, we're going to wait till March of 22, which turned out to be the right decision. And we opened uh, in Malvern, had a fantastic run, fantastic critical response, audience response, word of mouth. Uh, it was all very positive. But we still had to close seven days early, all sold out performances because of COVID. But we got what we needed, uh, which is great press, great ticket sales. And that ended up uh, creating the momentum for us to then move to Chicago, which is where we are now. I'd love to know more about the musical itself and how you decided to, you know, pick this subject. And I know you collaborated with the the musician himself, the songwriter, and I'd just love to learn more about it itself and what it's all about. Well, like uh, all life-changing events has started in a doctor's office. <laughs> and... Fortunately, I was not in the doctor's office, but I got a call from a friend of mine, John Banani, who used to be the executive producer of Radio City Music Hall. And I had done a uh, the 75th anniversary film for Radio City. And uh, we met that way, really liked each other. We became friends. And uh, he was at his eye doctor's. And he called me up and said, Jeff, do you know who Lloyd Price is? And I said, sure, Mr. Personality. Yeah, I mean, one of my favorite songs is Stagger Lee. One of my other favorite songs is Personality. And another one of my favorite songs is Laudy Miss Claudy, all by Lloyd Price. He said, do you know anything about him? I said, no, you know, I just know his music. And he said, well, he's here. We go to the same eye doctor. And I was talking to him about you and... Uh, I thought that you two should meet. I think there's something there. Would you mind if we came up to your office? I said, no, I'd be happy to meet him. That'd be great. And uh, the next day they were in my office. And Lloyd is a very charismatic guy. Uh, he's got this thousand watt smile. He's uh, funny and he has a lot of charisma. And we decided that we we're gonna do a short documentary that they were going to use to hopefully generate interest in him and uh, in some new iteration of him, whatever that would be. And uh, so I made this documentary 
And in doing so, you know, I first researched him quite a bit. And then for the documentary, I also interviewed him. And I was so taken by his story, so taken by all the things that I didn't know about his life, which were milestones. Uh, he recorded Lottie Miss Claudie when he was 17. It came out when he was 18. First song by a teenager that sold over a million copies. And then I learned he had a bunch of other firsts, like he was the first musical uh artist of any color, well, it's black, but of any color that started his own label. So he was an entrepreneur. He was the first teenager to sell over a million copies of his record. And that shattered the wall that was called race records, where you could only buy records by black artists in black owned record stores. He was the first black person to open up a nightclub below Harlem in Midtown across from the Ed Sullivan Theater. And his life was absolutely fascinating. And after I finished the documentary and he really liked it, and I went to New Orleans with him and we presented it, I said, you know, Lloyd, I, I know I can capture your voice. I want to tell your story. Your story is so interesting because it's none of the tropes that we've seen. You know, his life was just not typical in terms of how this is often portrayed in movies as in plays. And as uh, the Lloyd character, the first thing he says is, you know, my mama wasn't a whore. My daddy didn't leave. I didn't learn how to sing in church and I never did drugs. I want to get that out of the way up front. And he was an amazing person who had a huge impact on our popular culture and is considered one of the founding fathers of rock and roll. I'm so excited. This is so in my wheelhouse. I just I, I love and have performed vintage uh, R&B and early rock and roll. And, and and those songs all are just bangers, as they say these days. <laughs> and yeah, I love that. I love when we get to hear a real story about someone and it's not told through these tropes. And, um, that's right. and yeah, that's awesome. So it's so exciting. Um, wow. And so... I got to say, I'm not super familiar with musicals at all. So the idea that you're, um, you know, on the, the podcast and here with me on YouTube and can share some of the processes of what it's like to collaborate. Like you said, you've got this whole talented group of collaborators. You know, it says your name and it says book. And then it has, you know, all these other things all these other people, obviously, you've got costumes and choreography and set design and all this stuff. How did you even get this all started? And if there's any people in particular that you want to um, share that you worked with, anything around the collaboration process, any of that that just feels like something you'd like to share, I'd love to hear it. Well, my background was in film and video production, not live theater. And uh, for about a minute, I thought about doing this as a film. But what I really wanted to do, I realized was do this as a live theater presentation. And uh, I have a good reputation in terms of production and film, but not theater. And uh, so I didn't even have any connections in that world at all. I had done work that was fairly high profile. Ralph Lauren was a client for 36 years. Victoria's Secret was a client. 
uh, Harvard School for Public Health, the American Academy of Dramatic Arts. Plus, I've done music videos and that sort of thing. So I knew production. And, you know, and this is true in all businesses, I believe that there is more in common than different in terms of the protocols of doing a business and starting a business. And a play is a startup. Like any startup, it's a high risk venture. And, you know, the longer you survive, the more able you are to raise the necessary funds to take the next step. And there's people that are, you know, the angel investors, those are the people that are early stage that come into a project. And there are those that want you to cross certain benchmarks that come in. And then there are those that are waiting until you're in a major market to possibly come in. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a whole process that you go through. Uh, and one of the most important parts of the process is meeting and aligning with really good people. So a friend of mine who was an actor, we were talking and he said, um, so whatever happened with that play you're writing? And I said, well, it's done. And I actually just finished it last week. This is a few years ago. Uh, and he said, do you have a, a general manager yet? And he said, well, I haven't hired anybody. So no, what's a general manager? <laughs> you know? And I didn't know what a general manager is. And, uh, you know, so he mentioned uh, Wendy Orshan to me. Wendy is a terrific executive producer. It's a general manager. Uh, she has done many, many Broadway shows that you've heard of. And uh, it ends up that this actor who I grew up with, we knew each other since we were like 12, uh, Lee Wilkoff, uh, marvelous actor. Wendy was his daughter's godmother. And Wendy and Lee's wife, 35 years earlier, were waitresses together in one of the restaurants in the theater district in New York. You never know where connections are going to happen. Yeah. No. And it's, it's kind of wild. And I met with Wendy the next morning. And, uh, and that it helps when you know people that can open a door for you. Uh, and Wendy is very nice, very generous of spirit, recommended somebody to me. I met a number of people, and then she said, you should meet Adam Hess from Daryl Roth Productions. He's, uh, he's terrific. And I met him. We hit it off. And now it's six, seven years later, and he is with me still. Uh, and then uh, I interviewed directors. And Sheldon Epps, uh, director, he's an Olivier-nominated director. Uh, he ran Pasadena Playhouse, was the creative director for 19 years. Uh, just his book recently came out, actually in September, which is called My Direction. And Sheldon is Black. And he was often the first and only Black person on the staff of many of the plays that he was involved with earlier in his career. And we just really hit it off. And he's a fantastic person who, you know, I've learned a lot from Adam. I've learned a lot from Sheldon. And the key here is, Heidi, is that you find good people through other good people. And, you know, so Shelton, as opposed to Sheldon, Shelton Becton, 
as uh, our musical director, who Sheldon recommended. And Shelton is fantastic. He is just incredibly talented. And then the choreographer, Edgar Godino, he and Shelton had worked on Memphis together, the play Memphis. And uh, then Edgar also did, he was the associate choreographer on the Temptation show, Ain't Too Proud. And he just did uh, The Harder They Come about uh, Jimmy Cliff. And he did that at the public theater. And so I've been able to attract through both the strength of the script and people's desire to work with other people who they really like and put together a fantastic, fantastic group. Our lighting designer, Jeff Kreuter, is a Tony Award winner. Our sound designer, Rob Kaplowitz, is a Tony Award winner. And uh, I've been fortunate that I've been able to put together such a great team and keep them together even through COVID uh, to now what will be premiering well, what we're doing previews with starting tomorrow and then premiering on June 14th. So finding good people through other good people uh, is really the key. Also, the other part is, you know, you wanted to talk about collaboration and, and what that is. Did you have any specific question around collaborations? It sounds like you're working with a lot of people that were um, new. This is a new type of project for you. And then you're working with a lot of people that you're meeting for the first time. So I guess what comes to mind for me is um, navigating, collaborating with brand new people. Like, how do you find your rhythm with them? Uh, is there a communication style that works better as far as like, oh, we're texting or we're Zooming or we're just talking on the phone. Like it feels like there's all these different ways to to learn to effectively communicate with people and then also like hand over different parts of the projects to people and say, okay, I'm going to put this in this person's hand. I'm going to put, you know, lighting in this person's hand. Yes, they're a Tony Award winner. So hopefully <laughs> I won't have too many things I need to, you know, tell them about, but they're, I guess, coordinating all that and communicating. I'm curious what kind of maybe um, challenges there are there or things that you've learned over the years from all the different other production that you've done that helped uh, make that run smoothly. I have, uh, this is funny, when I, when I met with Sheldon and I really liked him and I had met a bunch of other directors, but clicked with him in a certain way. And I said to him, uh, look, I really like you. I want to work with you, but you need to know something about me. And he said, what's that? And I said, I have the no asshole rule. And he kind of laughed and said, I think I know what you mean, but why don't you tell me? And I said, if you're paying me, you can be an asshole, but you, you can never be abusive. If you're paying me enough, you can be an asshole. But there's no price on being abusive. I won't deal with abusive people. And he said, we have the same rule. And I said, but if I'm paying you, you can't be. <laughs> and that was the key there. And uh, he was totally aligned with that. And you know, there's nothing that replaces being in person with somebody. Now, during COVID, 
we had numerous meetings and we still have numerous meetings via Zoom uh, because, you know, we were working with some Chicago talent, Chicago press relations, advertising and so on. I'm in New York. My management is in New York. Those would all be via Zoom. And it's just since I relocated here for, you know, those seven weeks that I have met those people in person. So Zoom is actually a great thing. And during COVID, I considered it a lifesaver, you know, because at least you could see the person. Nothing that's as good as meeting people in person uh, because you can see body language. You can hear tone of voice. Uh, you get a real sense of that person. And even with Zoom, as terrific as it is, you schedule a meeting. And by its very nature, spontaneity can't be scheduled. So when you're actually working together, it's the most fruitful time, you know, to do that. But the key to a good collaboration is like the key to any good relationship. And that is clear communication and something that's really important that people, people often overlook is listening. Listen. Everybody wants to feel like they're heard. And that's, again, whether you're in a marriage uh, or if you're in a business relationship, people want to be heard and they want to feel like their ideas are at the very least heard. And I think it's important to also reflect back a certain value in their ideas, even if you don't adopt them, you know, so that they feel emotionally invested in a part of the project. So that, you know, comes pretty naturally to me uh, in terms of collaborating. <clears throat> I always uh, felt that one of my strengths was putting together good crews, good teams. I did that for over 40 years in all my film work. Uh, and, you know, it's the same thing in doing a play, in putting together good people, respecting them, respecting their ideas, making sure that they feel heard. Sometimes earlier on, uh, a way to do that is that you repeat part of the last thing that they said so that they know that you've heard them. It creates just a, a much better atmosphere because people feel valued. And, you know, this, you know, I've been asked, well, is this a passion project or is this a commercial project? And my answer is yes. And I think it's a false choice. I don't have to choose. You know, I want this to be a commercially successful project. I've got, as of now, about eight years into this. And I want this to be commercially successful. But I'm also passionate about telling Lloyd's story because it's such an important story because it had such an impact on our popular culture is considered one of the founding fathers of rock and roll. And uh, the fact that Lloyd trusted me to tell his story and we became very, very close friends. He unfortunately died in May of 21, mm. but he did see the first 29 hour production of the show. He saw the workshop production, which then had choreography. Uh, he unfortunately wasn't able to see Malvern. Uh, he was too sick at that point and then uh, passed away shortly thereafter. Uh, I'm sorry. It was a year before he died mm -hmm. a year before Malvern. 
He died in May of 21. Of course, I wish he could have seen it, but there's only one first time. And he did see the first time that it was a production with the band and choreography. Uh, and I think of him all the time. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm, he's into my bone marrow in terms of these characters and his story and all of that. But it's been just an, a, an, an amazing ride. And I'm fortunately on that ride with really terrific people who are creative, who are smart, who are respectful, and, you know, who know how to collaborate. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to share some of your wisdom. I know you have a book, Creative Careers, that I'll share a link about that as well. And um, that is something that's right in with the Vibrant Visionaries uh those that are listening and watching, they're all folks that are on different, you know, different parts of their creative trajectory, other podcasters, um, filmmakers, lots of indie filmmakers, writers, cartoonists, and all that. And so, yeah, maybe before we wrap up, you could just tell us a little bit about uh, what that book is about and who it might be good for, somebody that would want to pick up about creative careers. Oh, I'd love to. Uh for 15 years, I've taught a course at Parsons School of Design in New York City that I created called Creative Careers, Making a Living with Your Ideas. And what the book goes into is all of the different challenges, but also the rewards of a creative career. It's really interesting because most people look at it as kind of binary, you know, well, I'm not creative, but I'm good at business or I'm uh, horrible at business, but I'm very creative. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a right brain person, which is, you know, the allegedly more creative side. Well, that's a myth, you know, and that's a myth that had a real scientific beginning. Uh, uh, neuroscientist Roger Sperry came up with split brain theory in the late sixties and seventies and won the Nobel prize. But that was before brain imaging got sophisticated, which it started doing in the early 90s. And they realized that there's tremendous crosstalk between the left and right hemispheres of the brain. And Sperry himself never intended for left and right brain to be used to describe personality types like creative or organized or whatever. That's not what his studies were about, but it became popularized. And, you know, you can Google left brain, right brain test Sure. They're all in inaccurate, mm -hmm. but it's almost like a party game. And so people need to get rid of the notion that they're not creative. Everybody, I think, starts off with a notion of being creative. Entrepreneurs are creative because they have an idea and they actualize that idea into some kind of a business. That's a creative act because all creativity starts with an idea. And then it's about communicating that idea and actualizing that idea. So the book goes into not only my story, but I've interviewed over in the book over 55 people of varying careers from filmmakers and authors and painters to entrepreneurs, all kinds of people, because creativity is not just limited to the performing arts as we normally think of it or painting or writing. And so it opens up that definition, but it also that its best times helps you overcome some of the obstacles that you might confront. And how do you deal with that? Because it ultimately is about 
the person. How do they approach their life? And to have a creative career, you need to have perseverance. You need to be able to deal with risk. Uh, and you need to ultimately develop the confidence that you can succeed in what you're doing, as opposed to the delusion <laughs> that you can accomplish it. Right. Uh, because there's a big difference. You know, we started off earlier, you talked about the precipice. And, you know, there's a distinction that I draw between having confidence and having courage. And the difference is confidence is actually a capability. You're confident because you've repeated something enough times that you know you can pretty well pull it off. So you feel confident in your capability to do something. Courage, you feel uncomfortable. You're at risk. And you don't know if you can pull it off. But you step off that precipice because that's the courageous leap you're taking. And in order to be a creative entrepreneur, you need to have the capabilities in terms of what you say you can do, but you need to have the courage because you don't know what the outcome is going to be when you put your ideas out there. Well, let's stop there. I love that so much. I will share links to um, where people can find out more about the musical, about your book, and about you. Um, thank you so much, Jeffrey. It's just been an absolute pleasure talking with you. And break a leg. Is that okay to say? <laughs> I'll tell you something really quick, you know, because I wondered about that phrase because everybody says it and most people actually don't know what it means, including me. So I did a bit of a dive into how that come about. What does that mean? Don't break a leg. Don't be careless and cripple yourself. I and mean, what does that mean? What it means is that the side curtain off the side of the stage is called a leg. And in olden days, if you broke the leg, which means you made it on stage, you would get paid. So the idea was to break the leg, meaning that piece of curtain. So then you would be on stage and therefore get paid. Awesome. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah, cool. Oh, thank you so much. And best of luck with everything. And it's just been a pleasure talking with you. My pleasure, Heidi. Thanks for having me on. All right. Take care. Okay, everybody, that's been Vibrant Visionaries. This has been Heidi Bennett, Jeffrey Madoff. And again, I'll share the links uh, below um, on YouTube and then in the show notes for the podcast. And ciao for now. <laughs>